Welcome to the show today, guys. Thank you for tuning in. We have a special guest today in studio, my friend Jonathan Keller, the president of California Family Council joins us today, formerly the executive director of Right to Life of Central California and a longtime apologist and contender and ambassador for the pre-born in a state where we need far more of him. And we're going to talk about what California Family Council is up to, what we need to be doing in the state of California as lovers of life and liberty and, and hopefully lovers of Jesus, who is the giver of life, to contend for these things in the public square. So enjoy this conversation as we discuss the um, aspects of the culture of death in California and what we can do about them. Buckle up. I'm Seth Gruber and this is Unaborted. So Jonathan, welcome to the show today. Thank you so much for coming by. Seth, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So our paths have crossed a lot and we're sometimes at some of the same events, but you're not too far north of here and so we wanted to, to have you in studio. Yeah. And I followed what California Family Council does for a long time. I'm sure a lot of our listeners in California are aware uh, of your organization, but I think probably what you're doing in California is more important than any other time mm. for a lot of political reasons, such yep. as the recall of Newsom here yep. and the increasing radicalism of Governor Newsom Lini, um, who <laughs> is, uh, you know, sort of like a dying beast, getting mm. all the more violent um, yep. before his, uh, you know, his dissension into hell. Uh, so tell us a little bit first about yourself, your background, sure. how you got involved in the pro-life movement in the political square, and then and then I want to talk about you know kind of the state of California, but. Absolutely. Why do you care so much about this, huh? You're, you're just another Republican rube who right. uh, wants to yeah. make a war on women, I guess? Yeah. Just, just another cishet white male who <laughs> wants to control women's bodies. Right, exactly. uh, No, so um, first off, thanks for having me. I really appreciate yeah, being here. It's been a blessing to see how the Lord's been using you in this platform and growing it to talk about these issues. Uh, for me personally, I first started getting involved in the pro-life issue actually I think the first time I can remember, I was about eight or nine years old. Wow. Uh, my parents uh, were involved, not diehard activists, but right. they did take me and my sister out. We did some life chain prayer uh, and vigils outside wow, on public sidewalks. Uh, and then when I was in high school, I had some friends from church that actually started a pro-life teens group up in the Sacramento area. No way. So I got involved with that. I was the vice president of that, then the president. We would go out and wow. pray, pray outside of um, abortion clinics. We'd pray outside of public high schools. We were some of those crazy people that would have the big scary signs, pass out literature <laughs> right. to the high school students. And you were doing this as a teenager. Oh yeah. Wow. Yeah. And it was a really interesting thing because Seth, I was, I was homeschooled K through 12. And I was really grateful to my parents for that opportunity, that gift of being able to um, wow. learn about the life issue from an early age. Yeah. And at the same time, it really broke my heart when I would go out to these public high schools and you would see kids that were as old as me or even older than me that had no idea about what was really going on inside the womb, much less what was going on inside of abortion clinics but every day. But our public education system is, I mean, uh, incomparable bar none. I mean, the biology and the truth in the public square in these schools, I mean, why weren't they all pro-life? Well, Seth, it was incredible to me. Not only were they failing to give them information that was accurate about biology, but some of the most tragic things that I think really galvanized and, and kind of solidified my pro-life conviction was the outright suppression that we saw 
even happening, I mean, again, as a high school student, I'm 15, 16 years old, wow. uh, I would see sometimes school administrators that would call the police on us just for our exercising our First Amendment rights, no standing way. there on public sidewalks, so passing out literature. these are Sacramento area public high schools? Correct. Wow. Yeah. And I had great friends, uh, mentors like uh, John Ficker and Bud Reeves, I mean, people that have been in this work for 20, 30 years, wow. that would be taking groups of high school students out there, Christian high school students, just trying to respectfully, lovingly present the truth. And Seth, something that still sticks with me, and I mean, this has probably been, I mean, over 20 years ago now. I remember one time a group of us were standing on the sidewalks, passing out pro-life educational literature to students. And a school administrator, I don't know if she was a teacher, I don't know if she was a principal, she could have been a janitor for all I knew, but she had a name tag that gave her the authority saying, I'm with the school. She stood 10 feet inside school bounds. And as we would stand there and pass out literature, she had a 55-gallon black trash bag. And as soon as a student would walk by her, she would say, it's okay, honey. You don't have to take that. You can put that right here. Oh, my gosh. And student after student. I mean, think about That's, it, Seth. This was a staff or faculty teacher? Staff or faculty member from wow. this high school. And I would watch student after student <clears throat> that would be 14, 15, 16 years old. They would look at us, and then they would look back at the teacher and they would say, well, only one of you I'm going to have to see later on campus. Only one of you is going to be talking to my parents, so I guess I'll just throw this away. Unreal. And I would see student after student after student. Literally, the information would be taken out of their hands. Right, right. And Seth, at the moment, I was angry. But then even still, looking back and thinking about that, I think, how many girls on that campus that day that we were there right. had just found out they were pregnant? How many right. were going to find out they were pregnant in the days coming? Yep. And that piece of literature literally could have saved the life of their unborn child, right. and yet it was wow. taken out of their hands. So, wow. I mean, that's one reason for me as a high school student, I realized that's incredible. this is something that we have to be more actively involved in. Yeah. Because if, if the church doesn't wake up, if individual Christians don't wake up, right. there are a lot of school administrators yeah. out there that, again, not only are they failing to provide that information, they are actively suppressing it. That's right. And that was something that for me realized wow. this is something that we have to dedicate our lives to wow. as pro-life advocates. Well, so it's, are you saying that pro-abortion cheerleaders were engaging in censorship of pro-life ideas? before the digital age? Uh, I mean, it's shocking. I know. It, it, it's hard to believe. You know, you think of whether it's public high schools or colleges and universities, you think of these as uh, marketplace of ideas that's locations. Right. And yet, that's not really what we saw. We saw over and over, whether you're talking about Twitter, Facebook, whether you're talking about high schools right. or public college campuses, it was the same type of thing. When I would do pro-life activism, we would go to, I remember as a high school student, going to UC Berkeley and yeah, right. <laughs> holding, again, uh, abortion victim signs and talking about this is what abortion does to wow. individuals. This is what actually happens to the unborn child as yeah. a result of an abortion. Right. And you would see high school students that would either be mocking or would be completely indifferent. Yeah. And that was, again, when the administration was not actively trying to censor us, that's actively right. trying to get us kicked off campus. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I mean, and I don't know if I've told you this before. I, I, I may have, but during my years at Westmont College, I, my summer job was a full-time intern with the Center for Bio 
bioethical reform mm. with, yep. with Greg and Lois Cunningham. And yep. so I did the Genocide Awareness Project at about 10 Southern California universities. Oh, yeah. Now, they'd done it at UC Berkeley. I hadn't been up there. And for the listeners yeah. of this show, if you don't know what that is, the Genocide Awareness Project is a traveling mm. photo mural display that depicts graphic and shocking imagery of abortion compared to historically recognized forms of genocide right. to make the observation that while the historical circumstances and contexts are different, the justification is the same. And right. that justification is not all humans are persons. And the humans that we deny personhood to, we can therefore justify mistreating or murdering them. Yep. And so I've watched the faces of students, to go back to your point, yep. visibly change as they see something that they've never seen before. Right. And because I began to get involved in the pro-life issue as a senior in high school when I did my senior project on abortion and had to scan 300 images of first trimester aborted fetuses mm. for the Center for Bioethical Reform as part of my field work hours. Wow. I grew up in a Christian home. My mother was the director of a pregnancy resource center while yep. pregnant with me in the early 1990s, I had never seen abortion yeah. imagery before. Yeah. So of course, you have to ask the question, how many people who are sort of in the secular world who are not religiously involved have ever seen abortion imagery? Absolutely. And of course, the answer is very little at all. So I didn't know that. That's really cool that you've been involved in this for so long. Likewise. You ended up going to the um, Right to Life of Central California, and now you're at the California Family Council. Right. You talked about the church, and you talked about how <clears throat> you, know, you and your friends were filling in a gap. Uh, void that the church had created mm. by abdicating the public square, by refusing to engage the culture with their ideas on behalf of pre-born neighbors who can't right. engage themselves. I think that's so much of what you do and what California Family Council does today is you're filling in that void yeah. still because the pulpit is silent, mm. the watchmen are not watchmen anymore. Mm. And so the people and the sheep are suffering because right. wolves are getting into the gate. They're attacking the sheep. They're attacking mm -hmm. the culture. And the shepherds aren't doing anything to defend them. So tell us a little bit about what you're doing at California Family sure. Council. What's the organization's mission? Uh, and then we can talk about how important it is for this moment. Absolutely. So the organization, we're one of 40 state-based family policy councils around the country. We Wonderful. work closely with Alliance Defending Freedom, yeah. uh, Focus on the Family, uh, Susan B. Anthony List, Family Research Council. And we are very blessed in getting to kind of serve as kind of hands and feet, eyes and ears for some of those national groups. But at the same time, we're also totally independent. So our official mission is advancing God's design for life, family, and liberty. So you're a theocrat. That's right. <laughs> Through California's church, capital, and culture. Wonderful. And I think it's so important. Uh, those three issues, obviously, for me and the topic of this show is the life issue, obviously, yeah. but we also care deeply about family, God's That's design right. for the family, for gender and marriage, and together. for religious liberty. That's I mean, right. it's all tied together. And really, we talk about those three spheres, um, the, the capital, the church, and the culture. Uh, there's a lot of people that say, oh, well, you know, come on, politics is, you know, just downstream from culture. Uh, other people say, well, you know, really, uh, culture is downstream from <laughs> politics. They go back and forth. I think it is kind of true in a sense there's a stream, but I'd like right. it's more of really like a lake or a pond. And whatever influences one is going to influence <laughs> the other. Right, yeah. If you dump in a whole bunch of pollution and crap into one side <laughs> of the pond, yeah, yeah. eventually it's going to make its way throughout the entire ecosystem. That's right. And that's essentially, unfortunately, what we've seen happen. Um, in the past, Seth, I, and I have a lot of friends. I know you do too. We have a lot of friends who are pastors who are faithful, bold warriors who are sure. fighting on the walls of culture. But there are many others that I think have gotten overwhelmed or yeah. they've bought into this idea um, that God does not have sphere sovereignty over all these areas of culture. That's right. They think, well, look, I just need to focus on my one little area here, the church, right. but the capital, the culture, 
those things, I don't need to worry about those. That's right. And I know you know him well, but the Dutch theologian Abraham Kuyper, he had this incredible uh, statement. He said, look, there's not a single square inch yeah. uh, of creation over which Jesus Christ is not sovereign. You know, and every single mine. inch. He screams mine. That's exactly. Right, yeah. And I think, uh, for me, it really goes back to part of the reason why I think it's so important we're involved in this and part of the work we do at California Family Council is it's not just enough that we are trying to help the people that are inside our church buildings on Sunday mornings to follow Jesus and live as good Christians. That's, that, right. that's very important. Don't get me wrong. Right. And there's a role for that. But if you go back to the Great Commission, uh, before Jesus says, go therefore and make all disciples, right. he says, all authority yeah. in heaven on earth has been given to me. That's right. And I remember I, I preached a sermon on this one time at my church uh, on the Great Commission, and it was titled, Jesus' Authority, Our Responsibility. Hmm. I mean, Seth, imagine what it would be like if you had a police officer who was standing there. He had been through the police academy. He'd been fully trained. He had a you know, sidearm. Right. Uh, he had a badge. He had his uniform on. He's standing right there, and someone walks up and uh, throws you out of your car and carjacks you with your wife and your children in the back seat, and the police officer stands there and does nothing. And you run up to him and he says, this man is stealing my car, help, help. Oh, I'm sorry, I, I'm, I don't not really want, I'm not really political. I, I don't want to get involved. This seems like a contentious issue. Right. You know, there could be different uh, concerns about equity that are involved. You know, maybe this pe person has uh, some needs that haven't been met. You know, we really need to love this person before we can address the sin that's going on. That's right. Uh, that would be an abdication That's of right. his responsibility. That's right. And I would submit that we as Christians far too often have abdicated our responsibility. Because right. if Jesus has that authority and then he deputizes us, I mean, he literally gives us a badge and says, you are my witnesses right. to the ends of the earth. Well, if we don't put on that badge or if worse, we take off that badge, or I would say maybe worst of all, we're happy to put on the uniform of being a Christian. That's right. We're happy to wear the badge, but if we refuse wow. to exercise the authority That's right. that Jesus has given us, what, what kind of a witness is that to the world? That's right. I mean, you, you make it That's seem right. like Jesus is okay with the killing of thousands of unborn children every right. year, wow. every day. I appreciate how you said that, Jonathan. You're far more mild uh, than I am when, <laughs> I, when I address this from, from the pulpit. Um, but I appreciate what you said about your, our witness, right? That's what Christians say, don't they? Many woke Christians or um, politically neutral Christians, mm -hmm. which there is no such thing as moral neutrality today. If you stand in the middle of the road, you will get run over by a truck. But, you know, we were told leading up to the election, Jonathan, that uh, I can't compromise my witness, Mr. Keller, because if, <laughs> I if I put in the bubble for Trump, then my leftist friends that I work with at my tech company in San Francisco, they won't listen to my gospel presentation yeah. from me because they'll say, wait a second, didn't you vote for Trump? F you. Yeah. So you see, the reason why I didn't vote at all, Jonathan, was because I actually love the gospel and Jesus right. so much. And I didn't want to compromise my witness. Right. And then, by the way, Jonathan, you know, Romans 13 says to obey the governing authority. And, you know, those who have been instituted have been instituted by God. And so, you know, I, I know it says there that, that they're there for our good, uh, which might imply that if they cease to do good, we don't have to respect them anymore. But I just read past that one. And, you know, you can't legislate morality, Jonathan. Oh. And so I just want to go to the root problem because the gospel is all about getting down to root causes. Sure. And so the root problem is sin. And so we just need to get people to have their heart warm to the gospel and repent. And then all of these societal issues will just go away. What do you say to those people? Well, so you, you brought this up and I got to read you one of my very favorite quotes of all time. I'm sure you've shared it many times. You've probably even shared it here on the on the podcast before. But one of the people, whenever you hear people say that very pernicious line that is, 
I don't think we can legislate morality. I don't think that we can control other people. That's right. Um, there is an incredibly powerful line that um, I remember, I, I should say, he should, be, he should be a hero. I know he's not a perfect man by any means, but he has a lot, I think, to teach Americans and people around the world was Dr. I'm sorry, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Right, right, right. Again, I'm not endorsing every aspect of his life, especially I realize over the last several years there have been some sad things that have come out that's about right, his life. That's right. But one thing that people always talk about is the fact that he was an example. Our friends on the left especially say he was a great example of peaceful resistance, you know, a civil rights hero. That's right. But let me read you something that he said when it talks about morality and legislating morality. Uh, now, the other myth that gets around is the idea that legislation cannot really solve the problem and that it has no great role to play in this period of social change because you've got to change the heart. And you can't change the heart through legislation. You can't legislate morals. The job must be done through education and religion. I mean, if that does not sound like something we are hearing verbatim today. Some woke progressive, yeah. And then he goes, well, there's a half-truth involved here. Certainly, if the problem is to be solved in the final sense, hearts must be changed. Religion and education must play a great role in changing the heart. But we must go on to say that it's true that while morality cannot be legislated, behavior can be regulated. That's right. It may be true that the law cannot change the heart, but it can restrain the heartless. And then the money quote, it may be true that the law cannot make a man love me, but it can keep him from lynching me. And I think that's pretty important also. That's right. Yep. And anytime I hear a pastor or a faith leader or even just you know a business leader or a lay person right. says look I think that we need to be focusing on just changing <laughs> hearts and minds we absolutely have to change hearts and minds as Reverend Dr. King said that's right but if that's where we stop if we don't realize that there is a role and then a, a mandate that Christians have to <laughs> engage and to save lives wherever possible however possible right. we're literally leaving huge part of our toolbox on the sidelines. That's right. I love the I love the picture you painted of the the policeman who refuses to stop the evil man and heartless behavior because you know that's not his role or his duty and that's very much I think the scandal of the parable of the Good Samaritan is that two religious leaders, a Levite and a priest, walked by on the other side. Yep. Not um, when they could have stopped a crime but when they could have saved a man who was the victim yep. of a crime before he died. Yep. Because they were on their way to their synagogue and they had to preach their sermon. You know, they were busy with spiritual heart of the matter issues yep. to change the heart rather than restrain the heartless. And so I appreciate that, Jonathan. I think that was a beautiful rabbit trail for our <laughs> listeners because so many people who listen to this show, Jonathan, they care about life and liberty and they've, been, they've sort of been awakened to the uh, emotional urgency of mm -hmm. the time that we're in, especially yeah. to contend for life. But most of the people in their communities that they do life with, and many of them are Christians, mm -hmm. believe the type of, of silly statements that I was sort of mocking when I said yes. them. But they, they live by those and they firmly yeah. believe those. And so I think the question for us is what Dietrich Bonhoeffer posed shortly before his death when he said that the, responsible, the question for a responsible man to ask is not how he is to extricate himself heroically from the affair, mm. but how the coming generation shall continue to live. Mm -hmm. You see, it's not about us. It's yeah. not about you. It's, it's about those that you can protect, those that you can love, and it's about what type of rights, civilization, and culture you're going to hand to your children. That's right. If you don't want your children to be persecuted for their faith, then maybe you should do something about the state of affairs <laughs> as they are now and be a steward yeah. of what God has given you. And I think Jesus talks about stewardship with some very colorful language yes. in Scripture, meaning that the man who buried the talent and did nothing with it, yep. uh, God says we're going to throw him out into utter darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's some colorful language. Well, and Seth, it's so interesting in that 
that parable, literally, what is the uh, reward? It's not just more money. It's actually cities that they're more put in authority. charge of. It's more authority. And I think that's something that we... You want, I knew you wanted to create a theocracy, <laughs> Jonathan. It's, it's amazing to me that we, we so often fail to see... Uh, now, look, do I think that we should have uh, a theocracy in the model of someone like R.J. Rushdoony? No, I, I don't think that's the case. But I also think in a country like America where we have so much freedom, I mean, I just got done watching the Olympics. And I, I got to be honest, my wife and I were kind of suckers for the Olympics. I, I love watching all the sport. I love the competition. Right, right. There were some incredible uh, performances by some of the American athletes, hearing so many of them who had strong faith testimonies. Yeah. But the other thing that was heartbreaking, Seth, was to see how many of these totalitarian countries mm. that are basically treating their people like human capital oh, that yeah. they can use and abuse. I mean, in particular, the gal who won the Chinese diving competition, 14-year-old girl. Wow. And my wife and I are watching. She was incredible. She got one of her, or two of her dives, she got seven perfect tens. Wow. It was an amazing performance. And yet, we're looking in her eyes, and there is this deadness and this sorrow in this 14-year-old girl's eyes. And the, the people who are talking say, well, we don't know very much about her, but we know that she started competing because her mom is very sick and requires constant medication, so she had to go and start wow. competing. And I'm thinking, how, that's a great cover story, but you think of how... Why all did these, she have to do that? <laughs> all, these, all these totalitarian regimes are holding people hostage. That's right. And we have a unique opportunity here to continue speaking out so that we don't become like China, right. so that we can continue to save lives and advocate, and yet so often we just squander it. We just, right. we just let it sit. We, we, to use that analogy, we don't even put on the policeman's uniform. We leave the badge sitting on the kitchen counter, and yeah. we go about our days as if it doesn't matter and someone right. else is going to take care of it. That's right. Yeah, that's a wonderful point. Uh, you know, one of the points I make all the time that I'll continue to make on this show and to the country to as many people as I can get to listen, particularly in the church, is, is that if you don't get the right to life right, you won't get any other rights right. And so I care about all these issues, mm -hmm. right? I care about religious freedom. I care about the First Amendment, free speech, freedom yep. of assembly. I care about the Second Amendment, which is there to protect the First Amendment. Yep. Um, I love guns. I also love babies, and, <laughs> yep. and, and I would also love to prosecute and uh, forever put away in the clink those who harm babies and harm children. Yep. I care about all of these issues, um, but the reason that I've chosen life and why you, to a large degree, have chosen yep. life is because if we don't get that right right, we won't get any other rights right. Mm -hmm. Just like we say that we have to go upstream to contend politically yes. because all of the cultural rot we're seeing, much of it does stem from bad politics and yep. bad governance. So you want to yep. go upstream and, and, and deal with the, where all of this stuff is coming from. Right. Well, similarly, if you want to solve the problem of injustice in the country, to correct injustice in all of these other important cultural battles, you also have to go upstream to the first natural right. That's right. So, so much of the rot we're seeing is actually just the consequences of the deterioration of the foundational building block of the republic. And that's right. why our, our founders said we hold these truths to be self-evident. Mm -hmm. to, to translate that for a Gen Zer would be, duh, <laughs> yep. like, duh, don't you see this, how obvious this is? This yep. is axiomatic, th yep. that, that we're endowed by our creator with certain inalienable yep. rights, that among these are life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, and then the Constitution goes on to address property. Well, there's a reason for that, right. because those rights don't mean much. In fact, they mean nothing at all if you can be murdered. Mm -hmm. um, and Ronald Reagan made this point beautifully in his book, Abortion and the Conscience of a Nation. Yep. He said that Abraham Lincoln um, understood that we could not survive as a free nation as long as some men could decide that others 
are not fit to be free yep. and should therefore be slaves. Likewise, we cannot survive as a free land today as long as some men can decide that others are not fit to live mm -hmm. and should therefore be abandoned to abortion and infanticide. And then he finishes and says, therefore there is no cause more, more important than affirming than the transcendent right to life of all human beings, the right without which no other rights have any meaning. Yeah. And so that's why I wanna dive into this because yes. we need people contending for mm -hmm. all of these rights and all of these issues. But as long as abortion continues to plague this land and be a terror to the children it kills, mm -hmm. then any victory we win, Jonathan, on on the Second Amendment or, or First Amendment yeah. or religious liberty, those will actually only be fleeting victories that will shortly be taken away from us again. Because a country that can deny the natural right to life to an entire class of human beings cannot be trusted to protect any other right yes. that flows from that first and most important of all rights. Well, and so when it comes to life, what do we have to talk about? What's going on in California and how can you help our listeners think through this battle we're in? Well, as we transition to that, I, I want to say one point on that, just because you, you reminded me, you said if they can't be trusted to get this right, how do they get anything else right? Uh, it just reminds me real quick of that story I told at high school. I remember being so angry when I saw that, uh, that woman who had the trash bag. And then she was just flat out lying to these students. And when the police had came, she lied and said, we've been trespassing. I was just furious. And I remember driving back that day and talking to one of my mentors. And I said, how, how can they just look us in the face? And how can they look those policemen in the face? How can they just flat out lie? How do they do that? Yeah. And my, my friend John, one of my mentors said, well, they support killing babies. <laughs> I mean." Lying is no big deal. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I, I think that's why it's so important that we engage on these issues. So, that's right. So to your point on that, there are a bunch of different ways that people can engage. This is a very 10,000-foot thing. Yeah. But one of the things that I think is most important for our legislators in Sacramento to see is, frankly, just our physical presence. And that is especially true after the last year and a half. That's right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, I used to go to the Capitol on a regular basis. My staff member, Greg Burt, would go up to the Capitol on a regular basis. We would meet with legislators of both parties, right. um, and we would try to engage them on the pro-life issue, even Democrats. And I have to tell you, Seth, we, we were talking before this at lunch, um, even some of the Democrat legislators are much more pro-life in their personal lives than the policies they advocate. <laughs> right, um, right. One of the pro-life, or excuse me, one of the pro-choice legislators, a Democrat woman, very powerful Democrat woman there, I met with her in her office. Greg Burt and I met with her in her office. And when we were talking about why we were concerned about a bill she had and how it was going to impact abortion, right. she couldn't even bring herself to say the word abortion in our presence. And wow. she actually, she had, she was Catholic and she had this huge banner of Our Lady of Guadalupe hanging in her room. Oh boy. And, but here's what she said. And at first I'm thought, okay, this is silly. Um, this is, you know, you're obviously betraying this. But when she was talking about, she said, let me tell you my personal story. When I got pregnant when I was in college, I knew that it was going to be hard, but I also knew I couldn't do that. <laughs> so she wow. had her child. She did not have an abortion. She parented that child, and she said, and now my daughter is graduating from law school. Yep. So often, these legislators, they know the truth, that's right. but they're suppressing it in unrighteousness. Yeah, and I think right. that's why it's so important for us as believers to go and be those ambassadors, to be pro-life ambassadors inside the Capitol that's building. Right. Well, that, that's an aspect of, the, of elitism, right? Abortions for thee, but not for me. Mass right. for thee, but not for me. Walls and gates for me, but not for thee. Yes. Whatever it is, it, it never applies to them. Well, and 
we've seen over and over, legislators, it's easy for them to say that if they are disconnected and detached from the common folk. Right. So I think, especially after the last year and a half, there have been so few people that have gone back to the Capitol building. Now, for a while, we were banned from even going inside the Capitol That's building. Right. But now, even with the building being open, Seth, I was up there for testifying against a bill we're going to talk about later. Greg Burt and I were inside the Capitol building. We were the only people inside the building to speak against this bill. Now, there were some wow. people that called in, and I was wow. grateful for that. But California Family Council had the only physical opposition to that bill wow. at the Capitol. And I can tell you, there was nobody there on almost any other bill either. So wow. the Capitol was like a ghost town. In, wow. in the entire room, there was maybe five people That's in right. the room. But here's why this is so important. On August 25th, California Family Council, we're partnering with our friends at the National March for Life. We're hosting a, an event on the south steps of the Capitol. It's the first ever California March for Life at the Capitol building. <clears throat> After a year and a half where you have seen almost nobody show up at the building, right. this is an opportunity for pro-life advocates to show up and have a physical manifestation of our inward resolve. That's right. I, I know that everybody that is watching this show, I know you're all very pro-life. <laughs> I know that you care deeply about these issues. And I know in many cases, you're probably even engaging in your local communities. But I think sometimes it's important for us to physically represent That's right. at the Capitol building. That's right. Because you mean, so you mean real peaceful protest. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> True peaceful protest. <laughs> Not something like we saw last year. And, and Seth, I got to tell you, one reason why it's been so tough for us to get a date to do this event at the Capitol, it's going to be August 25th. Part of the reason why it was so tough was the state has been absolutely reluctant to reopen because of the mass destruction that we saw last year in the summers, the, the, the summer of love. <laughs> the riots that we saw last right. year, they left broken glass and looted stores all over downtown Sacramento. That's right. And it was like pulling teeth to even get an insurance company to cover this event. They are scared to death that Antifa is gonna come out and try to start something. Wow. But I can tell you, um, if you're watching and you have little kids, I still say bring them. There are going to be CHP officers that are going to be there. We are going to have uh, security personnel that are going to be monitoring the situation. And don't be afraid because we need to be willing to go and put feet to our faith That's right. and to physically show up. Now, some people might say, well, look, what's the big deal? It's just a march. How does that actually change things at the Capitol? Okay, I'll be honest. Brass tacks. If all you're doing is marching, of course. That's, that's not the only thing that you should ever be doing. That's right. But again, I'm going to reiterate. After a year and a half where we have seen an almost complete vanishing, a complete abdication of presence and participation at wow. the Capitol, right. this is a huge opportunity for That's people right. to once again come and say, you may think that we're gone. Yeah, Joe Biden won the presidency, That's or right. I should say he's in office. Yeah, yeah. Um, you, can see, uh, you can see, however, that there are people in this state that still believe that the pro-life message has power that's right. and it is our responsibility to engage in it. That's so right. that's, that's right. the first thing I'll say. If you go yeah. to CA, like the word California, CAMarchForLife.org, Wonderful. on uh, Wednesday the 25th of August, we're going to be there. Uh, rally is at 11, March is at 12. We're going to be live streaming it if you can't uh, be there. So just go to the website. You'll be able to watch it live stream if you can't be there in person. Awesome. But that's number one. Yes, wonderful. You guys show up to that if you're in California. Try to make the trip August 25th. Uh, CaliforniaFamilyCouncil.org or uh, what's, is there a website for the march? Say it again. Yes, it's CA, like the words California, CA, 
marchforlife.org. Wonderful. And again, you'll be able to find out lots there. You can also go to our website, of course, californiafamily.org. And right there at the top, you'll see 2021 Wonderful. March for Life. And it's important because it it uh, it, it helps develop momentum Yes. Um, at a time where the conservative movement and the pro-life movement is in desperate need of momentum. Right. Um, because a lot of people are disgruntled with the political process. Um, and so we need to engage with the people who are frustrated, who want to see change. Yes. And, and giving them something to do to say, we can change. We can turn things around. Right. And, and the recall of, of Governor Newsom Leaney, who tried to smear the entire recall campaign, if you, if you recall, is being oh, yeah. run by a bunch of white racists and yeah. white nationalists, whatever that means, meaning I, my melanin is more white and I believe that America's interest should go first. Yeah, I, I guess I'm a white nationalist. I'm not, I'm not real. But anyways, this actual communist Marxist who's just a white Obama um, and is kind of, you know, obviously about as radical, if not more, um, so radical that Jerry Brown was vetoing bills uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> that, uh, on, on abortion yep. that Newsom was, was um, pushing. So we're going to try to recall Governor Newsom. So much of what you're doing is important in this moment to try mm -hmm. to get a different leader in there and then hopefully reelected because uh, it'll only be for a year. Yeah. Um, but what are some of the bills um, that have come down the pike in California that we should be aware of? Sure. A as just a reason and just a reminder for you guys of how radical things are oh, in yeah. California and how important it is for you to engage your friends, families, and your local community to recall Newsom on September 14th, but also to say Larry Elder in the bubble. So uh, g give us a 40,000-foot view of the type of radicalism that's now become par for the course yes. in California legislators. So I want to reiterate to people, if you go to our website, California Family.org. Again, CaliforniaFamily.org. If you look there, there's a button that says Take Action. It takes you to our entire bill list where you can read all the different legislation. I'm not going to give you all of them because, like we said, there's a bunch of different issues we deal with. But just on the life issue, uh, it, it's kind of amazing how many bills, Seth, have come out this year that are directly targeted at pro-life advocates. And last year, because of COVID, we saw a compressed session. Almost all the bills that had been in process were scuttled, and they really did almost nothing last year. But they've come back with a vengeance this year. So just a couple of them. Uh, number one, uh, let me go back here. Let's see. The one that you asked about, actually, when we were at lunch, uh, number one is no harassing speech at vaccination sites. This is SB 742. Uh, essentially what this does is it tries to paint uh, protesters uh, with the same lens that they use to paint like the Westboro Baptist Church. If you, if you read the bill language, they literally say, well, look, there's existing law that says you can't protest outside of a soldier's funeral. So as a result, we need to now say that you can't protest outside a vaccination site. <laughs> I, I, I don't think that's remotely comparable. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. But on top of that, Seth, some people might even say, look, um, and I know pro-lifers, you know, Christians have different opinions on, you know, the COVID vaccines and other things like that. Some person might say, well, look, I, I got the vaccine. I don't have a big deal with vaccinations. Why should I care about this bill? Well, guess what type of healthcare clinic also does vaccinations at hmm. nearly every site in California? Hmm. <laughs> Planned Parenthood. Yeah. And notice, it doesn't say specifically in this bill the COVID-19 vaccine. That's, that's yeah. the, the way that they're trying to slide it under the radar. Right. But the HPV vaccine is given at most abortion clinics across the state of California. Right. If this bill went into effect, it would effectively mean that for an hour before the clinic opens to an hour after it closes, there could be no protesting, no harassing of someone if they are on their way there to the clinic. Now, what does harassing mean? It means showing a sign. <laughs> 
within 100 feet of the location. Because speech is violence, right? Yeah. It means approaching someone within 30 feet to hand them a piece of literature. Now, Seth, they've tried to limit this and say, oh, well, we really just want to talk about the uh, vaccination issue. So if you have another issue you want to talk about, that's okay. <laughs> Number one, constitutionally, that is content-based discrimination. You're right. saying we're going to limit this to only this one type of speech. All the other speech is fine, but this type of speech we're going to restrict. Right. There's no way that they're going to be able to police that. And it's going to open them up. All they have to do is next year pass another law and just slide in. Oh, and by the way, we're removing that exemption so it's any type of speech. Right, right. This could very easily outlaw sidewalk counseling. Or it would turn us into Canada. Exactly. Yeah. At every single location. And that includes whether you're doing something that is like peaceful prayer, like 40 Days for Life. That includes whether you're doing something like the Great Love Life campaign. Right. Um, any sort of presence outside of an abortion clinic could wow. be targeted by this bill. Wow. So that's number one. Because they know that when Christians show up in mass outside of abortion centers, abortion appointments decrease. Correct. And former abortion workers have left the industry and time and again, they've told 40 Days for Life and sidewalk counseling organizations yep. that when Christians were doing regular prayer campaigns and engaging women before they went in, sometimes it was an upwards of a 50 to 75% no-show for abortion appointments. Um, they know this and so uh, they don't really care about choice because if they cared about choice, they'd care about informed choice. Yes. So guys, that's important. This would turn us into Canada. You'll yes. get arrested on a public sidewalk outside yeah. of an abortion center in Canada if you're trying to do sidewalk counseling. Yeah. Um, this would lead to thousands of more murdered unborn children mm -hmm. and continued mass ignorance of the society regarding the humanity of the child. And Seth, how many times have we talked to women that are post-abortive and that are racked with guilt and filled with shame and sorrow and regret? And even after, I mean, we've talked to women who have since given their life to Christ and they've experienced that forgiveness and that hope, and yet they're still that twinge of guilt, and I've heard them say over and over and over, I just wish that someone would have been there right. that day. If anyone, if one person would have been there, I would have turned around. Right. This bill would directly take aim at those people that are trying to stand in the gap in that last few moments of possible right. uh, interceding for the cause of That's life. That's right, yeah. The, the other way that it targets uh, pregnancy care center, excuse me, uh, sidewalk counselor workers, the other bill that targets them is AB 1356. AB 1356. Yes. And again, if you go to CaliforniaFamily.org, you can find the top, the Take Action button. You'll see all these bills. You don't have to remember every one of them. Believe me, this is why I got my iPad. I don't remember <laughs> all the numbers either. So uh, AB 1356, this one essentially increases penalties for photographing and videoing abortion workers. Now, let me be honest. I don't like the idea of, of filming directly abortion clinic workers for the purpose of stalking them, intimidating them, harassing them. Sure. I don't think abortion workers should be targets of violence or intimidation or harassment. I, I agree with that. So if any Democrat lawmakers are watching, I agree with you on that. However, the idea that you would say you can't videotape for safety purposes. That's right. When I used to run Right to Life of Central California, we would do a 40 Days for Life campaign. We had a video camera that was shooting along the sidewalk the entire time right. for safety and security. Yep. There was multiple times that my volunteers out there were threatened. I mean, so much so to the point that not only would we get to a point where you could only, you had to have a minimum of two people out there, but we could never have women out there by themselves. Wow. Because the homeless people that would wander up or the angry, just random people walking around could be violent and dangerous. We had one woman that tried to attack one of my male staff members wow. and tried to steal the video camera. Wow. While it was filming her. Yeah. So this is something that I think it's common sense. And Seth, at the time when we are seeing millions of dollars put forward for body cam footage for police officers, <laughs> you're, you're telling me that 
we need to have complete transparency when it comes to police officers, which, which I agree with. I think right. that's a good thing. But there's this one area of our society where, no, 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 there shouldn't be any cameras there. That's right. God forbid that we would have video outside of the killing centers. <laughs> that's right. That's well put. Yeah. Yeah. We need to have footage on those systemically racist police officers who are protectors of the law in the rare circumstance that they violate the law. Right. But God forbid we have cameras put in place for the violators of the law yep. who will attack peaceful protesters. Yep. Uh, because then uh, we might have to prosecute the people who agree with us politically. Uh, and then, um, you know, we, we might have to admit that there's a violent streak, not just in the womb, but outside of the womb yes. in the pro-abortion movement. <laughs> That's 100% true. And the final thing that I want to say, uh, final bill, and again, there's a bunch more, but for sake of time, uh, this final bill is SB 245. And this is actually this the is one... This is from the pit of hell. This is, I think, the one that is the most crucial because it has the biggest long-lasting effect. Yep. And this is our primary call to action when we're going to be there at the March for Life in Sacramento. We're going to be trying to meet with legislators if possible. We're going to be reaching out and contacting them. And I realize it's an incredible long shot, but we are going to be even contacting Governor Newsom and asking him to veto this bill. I, I don't think it's very likely, but I hope that whether it's Governor Newsom or if he is recalled, and if this bill um, is not signed by the time he's out of office, I hope that whoever the next governor is uh, will veto this bill. Immediately, yeah. So SB 245 builds on some unconstitutional work, surprise, surprise, that the state of California tried back in 2014. Um, I'm sure some of your listeners are familiar. There was an attempt by the Department of Managed Healthcare to say every plan for health insurance in the state of California had to provide abortion coverage. Yep. That, that's a violation of the Weldon Amendment. Right. That is against federal law yep. to say every single plan has to cover it. Including churches. Every church in the state of California. Yeah. Every, like, California Family Council. This is part of the reason why our organization, we don't offer health insurance to our employees. Right. My wife and I are on a Christian health sharing plan. Yep, yep. And as are we. Part of the reason for that is that every health insurance plan in the state of California now, by, I won't say law, by regulation, in contradiction of law, yeah. every plan has to offer abortion coverage. Yep. And that's our friend, Pastor Jack Hibbs from Calvary Chapel Chino Hills. Yep. Church is still wrapped up in a lawsuit over this. Absolutely. And I'm so grateful for these brave churches that have taken on this fight. And I'm, I'm excited to hopefully see, thanks to some of the judges appointed by President Trump, right. there may be some positive resolution for this in the coming months and years. But in the meantime, California has said, you know what? Mandating abortion coverage? Oh, come on, that, 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 that's, that's easy. You know, that's table stakes. Yeah. How, can we, how can we increase this in 2021? What can we do to up the ante a little bit? Wow. And what they've now decided, Seth, is that instead of just requiring every health insurance plan offer abortion coverage, they now have to provide abortion free of deductibles, free of co-pays. Wow. It's completely banned. To so just free? Yeah. Free abortion. To, to charge, it, it is now banned, if this bill passes, to charge the end user. The well, free woman, for the end user, that's exactly. right. Exactly. No such thing as a free lunch. It, but it gives, it gives basically a free abortion to any individual who comes in and requests one. Now, two things. Number one, we know, I mean, you talked about Ronald Reagan, you know, if you want to get more of something, you subsidize it. <laughs> that's right. If you, uh, we, we've seen friends like, uh, I'm, I'm not sure if you've interviewed him before, but Dr. Michael New from the Charlotte Lozier Institute. Yeah, he's wonderful. Fantastic guy. He has done some incredible work on the lives that have been saved as a result of the Hyde Amendment. That's right. I mean, th that's an incredibly minor pro-life policy, but it's estimated that it saved maybe as many as two, two million. million lives. That's right. 
So imagine on the flip side, if instead of us saying we're not going to pay, imagine if the largest state in the country that already does the largest total number of abortions, we decide instead that we are now going to proactively pay for every single abortion in the state of California wow. through either insurance dollars or through Medi-Cal health, I mean, uh, government health insurance dollars. Wow. Um, to the end user, abortion will now have no cost. So for all the women and girls that are pregnant and find themselves in trouble, and I, I heard heartbreaking testimony from a woman, a young gal, who said that she got pregnant and her biggest struggle was, how am I going to get the $400 to pay for this abortion? Gosh. And I, I just was, I was sick to my stomach because I'm thinking to myself, on the one hand, I was sick for the life of this child that was lost. But Seth, in a very real sense, how sick and perverted is our society yeah. that this woman literally her biggest concern was not how she was going to care for this unborn child, not who she was going to lovingly place this child with for adoption, yeah. but how she was going to scrounge up the money to pay a hitman in a white coat That's right. to take the life of this child. That's right. Th that is how sick our society is. Yeah. And instead of our legislators saying, obviously the solution to this is to try to bring fathers back into the home, to try to incentivize marriage, right. to try to provide resources or support, to work with wonderful pregnancy care centers. No, no, no. The answer is to force every single health insurance plan to say, don't worry about it, honey, we'll cover that abortion for you. And so what does that do to the rest of the citizenry and the people who pay their taxes and to insurance plans? Well, already what we are seeing is through the Medi-Cal system, California is one of only a few states in the nation that covers abortion through our tax dollars. So every one of us who pays taxes is already complicit. But now, the further level of complicity, if any of you are one of the millions of people, I mean, I, I think the vast, vast supermajority of people in the state of California are not on health share plans like us. <laughs> right. they're, they're on Blue Cross, Blue Shield, Aetna, Kaiser, whatever it is through their insurance plan, through their, through their employer. Yeah. This now means that their plans, their corporations, their, their companies, their employers are now going to have to raise premiums, raise rates to pay for abortions in every single health insurance plan. Wow. And Seth, the other thing about this, not only does it, uh, the, the threefold thing, not only does it um, harm the woman because it's going to increase the number of abortions, not only does it harm the society in general because it's going to make all of us complicit, but number three, Planned Parenthood, Family Planning Associates, all these different abortion centers, they essentially now are going to have a blank check to decide, hey, insurance is paying for it. We can charge whatever we want for abortion. Wow, yeah. we, we can mark it up however we want. We can pad the expenses for whatever other types of things we want to do. Unreal. And Seth, we already see the way hand in glove that Planned Parenthood's uh, nonprofit health clinics operate with That's right. their action fund. That's right. But we know for a fact that this is essentially going to be a money laundering scheme. Yep. That not only is now California taxpayer money going to be paying for uh, pro-choice political activity, but right. now our insurance campaigns, yep. our insurance money is going to be indirectly paying for political activity. Yeah, that's right, because they'll, then they'll donate to Democrats and then we'll also be funding the Democratic Party. Exactly. I mean, yep. it's, it's this incredibly vicious cycle. Wow. It's a bill from the pit of hell. Yeah. Just like the Equality Act. And I encourage everybody, again, go to our website, californiafamily.org. You can find out more about this. And uh, my hope and prayer, Seth, with this one, as with some of these other ones, is that you will see more brave people like Calvary Chapel Chino Hills, uh, like our other friends at churches around the state. That's right. And maybe even organizations like ours, depending on our capacity, 
I would love to see individuals challenge these bills and say right. this is a violation of federal law, it is a violation of the Weldon Amendment, and you cannot force me, you cannot force my church, you cannot force my faith-based organization to fund the killing of unborn children through my health insurance That's plans. right, yeah. Beautifully put, uh, Jonathan. Um, you know, <laughs> so much of this comes from a failure of the American public to understand what self-government even means. That these people are accountable to us, we are the sovereign right. in America, and so when we're silent on these things, that silence is consent. That's we right. are consenting to the status quo, and we are saying either yes and amen or I don't care. Yep. Um, and when you know you have a responsibility to do something about it, Proverbs 24 talks, says 11, it says, says, hold back those staggering towards slaughter. And if yep. you say to God, we did not know about this, yep. he made your heart, he sees it, he knows, and he's yep. going to judge man according to what he has done. Mm -hmm. And so we have a responsibility to engage, and that's particularly true of the bride of Christ, and of, right. of Christians who have been adopted by the creator of the universe who entered human history as a fetus and as an unborn child right. to redeem mankind from their sins. My hope is that we can drive a lot of people out to the Capitol for the march yep. and to protest against these bills. I've told yes. our friend Greg Burt before, and he, you need to tell him, he hasn't been texting me, text me anytime <laughs> you need me to go light up the legislators awesome. at the Capitol. And we'll try to get people engaged and, and, and up there because I think people are itching for something to do yes. because they finally reached their line mm -hmm. and we need more people reaching their line so yes. that they're d disturbed enough to begin acting and contending. So, Jonathan, thank you for coming into the studio today. Absolutely. Thank you for what you're doing. Do you have a, uh, any final words or call to action for yeah. our listeners? I would just reiterate, I know I'm a broken record, but go to our website, californiafamily.org. You, of course, can also find us on Twitter and Facebook. Just search California Family Council on any of those sites. And again, the, uh, the two big things at the top of our website there is the March for Life. You can go and sign up there, get more information, and then that Take Action page. And there is a button at the top of that as well that says Sign Up. You can join our email list, get the great emails that, that you get on a regular yeah. basis as well. That's good. And I, uh, I really, Seth, thank you for having me because I think it's so important that the pro-life movement in California come together and That's continue right. to advocate for these issues. And I, I just want to say in closing, I know, I mean, believe me, I know that it can be discouraging and frustrating at times to be involved in this. Um, I, I started full-time with Right to Life Central California in 2003, um, so I'm looking here now 18 years of being involved in full-time pro-life ministry. Right. There have been a lot of ups, wow. there's been a lot of downs, but the thing that I think is so important for us to remember, I, I think we can say it sometimes so often that it sounds like a cliche, right. but may the words of Jesus coming through Holy Scripture never be a cliche. But it says that we will reap a harvest in due time that's if right. we do not faint. Amen. And that's my hope and prayer for, for all of us, that's especially right. here in California, yeah. that we would continue to persevere and see the day when God would bring an end to abortion, that's not right. only in the United States, but even here that's in right. California. Well, we're behind enemy lines here, which means that the battle's tougher, but it also means that we're in the strategic position to defeat the enemy. Amen. Because we're in the closest proximity. That's Jonathan, right. thanks for coming and joining the show today. Thanks, Seth. Absolutely. Guys, thank you for tuning in today. We really appreciate you tuning in for this important conversation. Go check out California Family uh, Council, californiafamily.org. Get more resources. Go out to the March for Life. I'm going to try to be there, depending on my speaking schedule, on August 25th. Um, but come and make your voice heard on behalf of those who have none. Thanks so much for joining the show today. Head on over to sethgruber.com, S-E-T-H-G-R-E-R. B is in baby boy ER.com to sign up for my newsletter, to see my speaking schedule if you want to hear me speak live and local, or to book me for an event with the very few dates I have left for 2021. Uh, please give the show a rating and review on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube. Let us know what you think. It really helps us reach more people. Until next week, I'm Seth Gruber, and this is Unaborted.